oh, once a coach gets too popular, they get too good and they've been around too long, you gotta let them go. I'm like, why? People are getting interviewed and it's like, oh, this guy owns uh, 250 Orange Theories and 245 of them, he's a 5% owner of those Orange Theories. But if people do also do their due diligence and talk to people who have successfully done it, they all tend to believe the juice is worth the squeeze. Hello, and welcome to this live episode of Jim World Worldwide in my office with Greg Marone. Hello. Of Fit Lab <laughs> and uh, Franklin Lakes uh, Alloy, or yes. Alloy Franklin Lakes. Alloy right? Franklin Lakes, yes. So, sir. as a longtime viewer of the show, yes. Is this is the studio everything you thought it would be? You know? <laughs> yes, all that and more. It was. Uh, it would be hard to top the ice bath, but but th this is pretty nice. Yeah, I had uh, I had I had Greg come in. And we started with a with a three minute ice bath, and then uh, he took me through a workout that he thought previous Gym World guest James Pratt would have uh, prescribed me. Yes. So if we're looking extra pumped up right now, <laughs> yeah. that's because we did uh, three quarters of... Uh, we're, we're big length and partial guys now. Explain, explain what that even means. <laughs> <laughs> it means full eccentric, 50 to 75% concentric part of the exercises that we did, which was chest presses and body weight rows, essentially. So, I'm pretty, I'm feeling pretty swole. I, I'm I mean the viewers the viewers will determine whether we're looking. Uh, <laughs> I think the camera extra take, pumped her. I think the camera takes off ten pounds of muscle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's the issue. <laughs> <laughs> and so we met um, we met last year and through yeah. business, business for, for unicorns. unicorns. Yes, but it turns out that we have a storied past that you operated your gym, FitLab, your original gym, yes. was uh, five blocks away from my first gym in Hoboken, New Jersey. Yep, which is a beautiful gym. And well, I know now, it's a, now it's a dance studio. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now it's a beautiful dance studio, but I had no idea who you and Mateo were, but I do remember driving by your gym frequently and being like, that's a very nice gym. Yep. Yep, until the, our neighbors sued us and forced us to move out of there. As and, uh, Hoboken uh, folks are wont to do. Yep, yep. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it, that's all that, like, Hoboken, for those of you that aren't familiar, is a town with, like, 50,000 people. It's a mile by a mile long. Yep. And we were operating successfully, and Greg was operating successfully, and like we didn't really even know each other exists. You know, yeah. like I I could recognize his door, he didn't recognize my like right. he could recognize yeah. my door, but aside from that, you right. know, we were both doing our own thing and doing well. And I, right. I think a lot of people are so like concerned about what the competition is doing, and like yeah. there's just like there's just so much uh, there's so much meat on the bone, you know, especially in that town that's so densely populated, tends to skew. 25 to 45, um, relatively affluent, not New York City, but pretty affluent. So people seem to be into all different types of fitness. There's plenty of, plenty of people for, I think, three or four CrossFit boxes still to this day. Ours is still around kicking in. They're not an affiliate anymore. Now you guys are literally right next door to our new location. Yeah, yeah. Um, so explain explain what the FitLab is and the model you run. And so we do, 
I guess what could be considered a PT first model. So our focus is on small group personal training, six on one, which we've been doing for eight years, but we still do one-on-one pers -on -one personal training and it actually saved us through COVID. Um, we, were, we were able to uh, survive on that. I didn't have to lay anyone off. And we were doing sessions from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Uh, through COVID almost all one-on-one. -on -one. And then post-COVID, we started redoing small group training again. And, and the only change we've made, which has helped us a lot, is changing the language that one-on-one -on -one personal training is what you do for a month or two. And then essentially everyone transitions into the small groups, uh, which allows us to um, it, it serves as our, our onboarding almost. And one month of PT is the equivalent to two and a third months of small group training. So uh, it's been a nice little feeder system into our small groups and, and it really allows us to make our small groups feel as close to personal training as, as possible. Wait, so, so let's unpack this. So someone signs up for your gym, they start off, have to start off PT. They do not have to. So it's communicated uh, during the consult call that they're gonna come in, they're gonna do a free strategy session. We do an assessment that checks um, shoulder range of motion, hip range of motion, and then do um, hinging, squatting, pressing, and pulling. And if people have a good foundation for those movement patterns, then we're happy to put them directly into small groups. If they have no experience in strength training or coming in off a long layoff, then we strongly encourage it. It's people tend to get more long-term value from the small groups when they do at least uh, eight, eight sessions of one-on-one. Of -on -one. They historically, they end up sticking around for over a year if they do that. Whereas if it's purely a financial proposition for them and they wanna do the small groups because that's all they can afford, we're gonna welcome them with open arms. And at the same time, I feel like they just, they don't get the same sense of value and don't stick around um, nearly as long as if they do a little PT first or if they're coming in having worked with a trainer or working their own strength training program uh, before joining with us. All right, so what percentage actually comes in and does one-on-one uh, -on -one first? I would say 80 to 90%. Okay. There, we tend to get a lot of people who, for one reason or another, uh, have been turned off by group fitness, whether that was getting hurt or just feeling like they weren't progressing the weights that they were using, they're allowed to do whatever it was without being corrected ever, and they just wanted higher touch service. Uh, so that's the space we tend to occupy. So I would say the majority of people do eight session, eight one-on-one -on -one sessions prior to rolling into the small groups. And this isn't, this is a, a model that we kind of fell into, but I, 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 it's been spoken about by guys like Stu Brower, and I know that he's encouraged some CrossFit affiliates to do it too. So um, it, it's, it's just what's worked very well for us, but we really had to get the language dialed in on from the sales call through our email follow-ups 
you're only doing this for a short amount of time, we know that it's more money on the front end, which you may or may not have been expen uh, expecting, but it's gonna serve you well and you're gonna end up being more consistent and stick with this a lot longer. So we love talking money on this show. Like, what's it? <laughs> I, I like money. I have some. Good. I'd like more. Good, good, good. <laughs> You're in the right place. <laughs> so, so how do you package and price um, your, your small group? And then how do you do the, the onboarding in the beginning? It's, people are either training eight times per month or 12 times per month. Uh, the, the small groups are $500 a month, or the, sorry, the 12 times per month is $500. The 8X per month is $400. We do all month to month building, billing. We don't do any contracts. We don't, we don't combine PT and small group packages for people when they first join up. And, and honestly, we still have a decent amount of people who want to train at 11 a.m. and still do one-on-one -on -one PT. So we, I think we still have around 65 out of 135 members or 55 out of 135 members that are still doing at least some one-on-one -on -one training. So PT, what does PT cost? Do you do it by the session or are you doing packages? Like Packages, it usually most people train two times per week. So our, our training packages are in increments of eight. 8, 16, 24, 32, so that people can budget for one month, two months, three months. We lower the per session cost a little bit. And I think that our personal training is priced very fair for our area. And that's because we don't really do low barrier offers and we're not gonna run low barrier offers um, to have them do PT and then small groups where I know that there are a lot of other gyms that specialize in small group training, but still offer one-on-one, -on -one. they just anchor it at $250 a session to discourage people from doing it. So really we, we want it to be priced very fair so it doesn't turn people off. And then, like I said, that, that's our de facto ramp up into our small groups, which we're, we're, we're trying to make that um, abundantly clear to people that it, it is not group fitness, which which I think we do a pretty good job of. All right, so what do the session rates look like for the PT? They're around $110 an hour. Per an hour, okay. So like base packs looking around 800? 875, yeah. It, I, I think as small group training becomes more and more of a thing, I think the small group training packages typically land around 40% of what one-on-one -on -one PT is offered for. And if you don't offer, offer it at your gym, I think it's around 40% of what one-on-one -on -one is in your, in your town. So 400 for your base rate, small group, 500 for the, the you come three, three times a week sure. instead of two times a week. Correct. And you're saying half your people are doing some form of personal training at over a hundred around a hundred dollars a session. Right. Yep. Yeah. Hundred and ten. Yep. And I remember your space being like pretty tiny. Like how much square footage do you have? We we moved in May from a thousand square feet to a space that's twenty two hundred square feet. So we were it's <laughs> it was simultaneously uh, harmful to my ego to operate out of a thousand square foot space, 
but also a point of pride that we were able to gross $600,000 in a thousand square foot space with minimal equipment and just offering really great service and, and a great product. You know, I, I always would compare it to like a 10 or 12 table great Italian food space where you're not going there for the decor or anything fancy. It's literally for just for the food and for the service. And so were you able to proportionally grow your revenue getting out of that thousand square foot space? Like what do you do yeah. the top line into we'll, the new place? We'll be, we're on track to ring $120,000 more this year than last year. And, and, and there's still a lot of room to grow there, I think. And, and by a lot, I, I did the math on this the other day. I think if we add 15 new members, we'll be approaching capacity. We'll be sitting around 150 people. And I don't think we can push too far past that. So, um, but, but we still have some, some room to grow. We can always continue to build out more time slots dedicated to the small groups but um yeah i i, I feel i feel pretty good it was it was, the, it was long past due that we moved into a bigger space but COVID happened we probably could have done this in 2019 and then COVID happened and to to have a space with such low overhead and be able to keep my entire team on employed and continue to hire people um felt fortuitous that we were in such a small space. All right, because you didn't have to pivot too much from your model where like the, everyone who was running group got absolutely cooked right. in that area. Yeah. So uh, like I said, it, 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 the only, the big change we had to do is uh, lean heavily onto the PT one-on-one uh, -on -one and, and uh, I think we cut our small groups in half. It was only three people an hour keeping people spaced out for, 12 to 18 months. The The good news is, is those one-on-one -on -one people, we have such great retention that once we started leaning uh, more into the small groups, we had a, a good cluster of people already part of the gym. And we were saying, hey, you can save 60% off training. You're going back to the office now. You also have scheduling flexibility by transitioning into the small groups. So, it worked out to not be horrible. So you were doing 50 out of a thousand square feet and 50 in top line out of a thousand square feet. Yeah. And so now at 2000, you're doing like 60, 70. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's awesome. I mean, we were in, I want to say our space was like 2,800 and we were at pretty close to capacity doing group class. And I think we were doing like our, our good months were like 40, 45. Right. So like, you know, in a third the space, you were doing the same amount of revenue and yeah. probably had less headaches than we did right. operationally. And yeah. I, your uh, staff probably made more than mine did. Right. And, and, and one of the, I have a great staff. I, I've, I've, my team has been in place for a long time, the majority of them, and they're true pros. I mean, the, these guys are, are um, you know, fitness for a career. It's not a part-time thing for any of them. Very well educated. And honestly, I don't have to do a ton of micromanaging. So they do get paid well, but it's also uh, enabled me to uh, do other things, which is now the alloy project 
So, which I wouldn't have been able to do if I was still wearing all of the hats at FitLab. And so, you know, some of these, we, we've talked to a couple guys who are running alloy-like models and we talked to Rick Mayo himself. Right. Uh, some of these are pretty bare bone and they'll, you know, on 40 grand a month, they'll, they'll spit off a ton of profit. Yes. In terms of FitLab, are you structured similarly where you can, you know, you got 30, 40% fall into the bottom line there or have you built a little buffer for yourself because of, uh, you know, you're, you're piecing out? I'm, I'm happy with my take home and I'm very proud to be able to pay our coaches as well as they are paid without running them into the ground. I don't think any of the coaches work more than 30 hours a week and I don't know a gym in the area that compensates better than, than we do. But again, that that's kept people around. Something that I've heard for years in the fitness space is, oh, once a coach gets too popular, they get too good and they've been around too long, you gotta let them go. I'm like, why? I don't understand. Like, I, 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 if I, if some, if one of my coaches is a nine out of 10, why am I gonna replace them with someone who's a six out of 10 and continue that turnover with my team? I get it, um, you know, sometimes head coaches or whatever can, can start trying to have a bit of a coup. That hasn't been the case for me. I've been very fortuitous in that regard. And uh, again, it's another thing that's a point of pride for me that they're able to be compensated as well as they are. Um, and it feels like they don't have, for them, I don't think it feels like they have a finite ceiling, that, they, that there's still room for them to grow uh, working at FitLab. And are you paying them session rate, salary? Like how do you, how do you call it? Session rate and for the small groups, they get paid per head. So they're, they can make up to $120 an hour. I think on average, our, our head trainer who's been around the longest, obviously he gets incremental pay bumps, but, but I think there, there's not anyone on the team making less than $50,000 a year, and that's a part-timer. They're not even hitting their, their first uh, pay bump, which is at 24 sessions. And so what, are the, what can you make at the top end? 92 to 100. That's crazy. That's a lot more than most owners make. Right. They could. They, our our head coach can make six figures if he wanted to do uh, thirty to thirty-two sessions a week, which he doesn't want to do. So, um, I think he he has the work-life balance that works for him, and so do I, or I used to before then deciding that Mark and I were going to try to open up uh, ten gyms in the next five years. So, yeah, let's talk about that. So you, you got a gym and Hoboken is great because like it has a lot less turnover than New York. Yes. So you're not like fight like, you know, like a Dan Trink is constantly fighting because his members are moving. Right. Like I own gyms in both. Right. And my Hoboken gym was always easier to run because it, you just get that core group of members who like, you know, they're there for longer stints of time and. Uh, there's less competition in that town than in sure and and also the money is just night and day hoboken's affluent new york money is just obscene so people when i was 24 years old doing one-on-one -on -one pt it was 150 dollars an hour back in 2003 and people 
had no problem saying, I'm not coming in today. I'm going to Fire Island. Charge me. And I mean, and so where Hoboken, you have to work a little harder to get people (laughs) to get people to to be paying on time and charging them their late cancellation fees like that. It is a little bit more challenging. But yes, we do have a we have a pretty, pretty great and loyal community with with low churn. So it's nice. Hoboken's all the guys, you know, scraping by on half a million to a million a year <laughs> yes. salaries. You yes. Know, they're, they're yes. Struggling the, as the, partner of their law firm instead of the owner. You yes. Know? The, the poors. <laughs> yeah. So, no, but it, it, I always found it um, easier. I also found it because it was so geographically constrained that, like, the community was stronger at that gym than a yeah. lot of the other ones that yeah. we had. Um, so yeah, you, you got this gym. It's doing well. It's it's efficient. And presumably, you're taking home six figures from that, and then um, you decide to make a terrible choice. You, you, you meet you meet you meet Mark Fisher. He's got great hair. It's yeah. very charismatic. He, he, very convincing. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. How how do you go from having it all set with the Fit Lab to uh, getting back in the trenches and and opening up some franchises? Right. So. In uh, so I, I mentioned making it through COVID, okay, you know, it felt felt pretty good, and then in September 2021, uh, Hurricane Ida flooded our gym, and that was a forty thousand dollar hit, which I recouped zero dollars from insurance, any form of government. It was just a forty thousand dollar hit, and I didn't have to take out a loan because I've always carried such a big buffer and you know for the business in case god forbid something uh ever happened so uh that really making it ha- having that happen on the heels of covid made me feel fairly vulnerable and earlier that year mark had mentioned something casually about reading reading up on alloy and that they were franchising obviously he had known rick and spoke on the same circuits as him for years, but he, he just casually had mentioned that he was thinking about investing in it and leveraging his, his skills uh, instead of investing in more real estate. So after uh, FitLab got flooded at our next retreat that was in Manhattan, uh, I just brought it up with him and asked him if if he minded if I did legwork and some research into it and then presented him with all the information that I got about Alloy with no pressure to move forward as partners or anything like that. And so we took our time doing our due diligence and 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 before deciding to move forward. Now for me, I just look at, I, I, I've been in the fitness industry since 2001 and it's, it's, it's a young industry. There's no easy blueprint to retirement. And that flood and $40,000 hit made me feel pretty financially vulnerable. You know, I was married, starting a family. And I was just like, man, I, I need more revenue from multiple places. So that's what made me feel like, let's let's look into this thing and i knew that it would be a big financial investment on the front end it would be a ton of work on the front end but that five six years down the road i would feel more secure for for my family and i'll be 50 years old in five years i just 
it felt like a more clearly defined path towards some sort of retirement in the future than just owning one gym. And if I opened another fit lab or two fit labs, I also didn't think that I would ever see, <laughs> essentially ever see my family again, because I just, I, I just didn't know how to scale. I didn't know how to fully step out of that business. So running someone else's play, uh, seemed seemed appealing and of course the opportunity to work uh work with mark i i knew that i would learn a ton so that that was the impetus for for the alloy play so for context rick mayo is the founder of alloy considered by many to be one of the godfathers of this small group training the small group personal training model um and so when did he start franchising I think it's. I like, believe in 2019. So they yeah, had done it was like right before COVID. Right? right. They had been doing licensing for, I believe, a decade or a little longer, and then the the runway to becoming a franchise. I I think it's a year to two years. I think it's a, a million dollar investment in order to become a franchise, and it's just a mountain of paperwork. I don't think it's the most easy path to becoming a franchise. I, like I think becoming a franchisor, you mean? Be, yeah, yeah, to like, become yeah, a yeah. franchisor, yeah. Yeah, you it, talked it, about that when we had him on the show. It's yeah. just how much money and time and right. how it, it, awful it is to right. it, it, go it, through that process. It's not the least bit fun, right? And and I, you could ask, talk to Rick about this, but my understanding is like, even now he's he, he loves his baby and it's growing and it's doing great. But I think Rick's day to day is probably not you know it it it, it very it look it on the surface it doesn't look like he's doing a lot of fitness stuff it's a lot of legalese and meeting with accountants and doing things like that to give people the opportunity to get into the fitness space and be franchisees and then Mark, who you referenced, Mark Fisher, friend of the show, comes comes very occasional, occasional guest, Mark. occasional co-host, occasional guest. You know, it depends what his schedule is looking like for the next ninety days. So, so what was the pitch? You you went to Mark and were like, "Hey, I know you're kind of interested in diversifying. I'm interested in diversifying as well. Like, let me go figure out what's going on with Alloy, and maybe we can." go into this together like well right. what's the angle yeah that and i think what i could pitch to him that would be appealing is that i would do more of the operational stuff because he just doesn't have the time right so i have to run interference on some of the day-to-day -day stuff to create that buffer for him to focus on the real high level things and and he excels at things that i don't and so to obviously our the nature of our relationship is we have weekly meetings and I can run things past them as as necessary but for the for the growth of our um, the units that we own I, I try to run interference as much as possible so he can focus on things like marketing and 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 do deep dives into our numbers so you guys both put in equity in the beginning, putting cash in the beginning. Yeah, we're right now we're 50-50 financial partners. And the idea is you would open 10 of these in what time frame? 
Hopefully five years. So part of God, what, sounds <laughs> awful. It, it, I, I may die. <laughs> I mean, that's that's totally on the table. Is that uh, I keep saying, yeah, in five years I'll be able to go to my daughter's ballet on a Tuesday at noon. Or I might be dead. We, yeah. we, so, yeah, you know. oh, it'll be forced retiring after you have a stroke. So yeah. it's just fine. Yeah, a massive cardiac event. But yeah, it, it, it'll be uh, it'll be a, a lot of work for sure. But that that is the you signed your waiver before you got in the ice bath, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, the we, we did a lot of due diligence. We we had an awesome franchise broker who's literally written a book on on franchising. His name's Rick Bizio, great guy. Uh, so we had the opportunity to speak to him at length. I have a couple childhood friends that own 48 Mike subs. So we're- Jersey. The, Jersey Mike. Mr. Jersey. Yeah, the, come on. Mike subs. Uh, yes, uh, Jersey Mike. Tell it to the Swedish people <laughs> yeah. who listen. You know? <laughs> My apologies. <laughs> so uh, there, there was just a lot of smart people and Mark's who he is and he has a, a big network. So we just reached out to a lot of people and spoke to them. And everyone was very honest. The beginning is tough. And then I'm living through that right now. But supposedly between units three and five, things get substantially easier. And you can actually get your workload down to around 20 hours per week. And then as you really scale, then then you really create a nice buffer between you and the units because you have hopefully a, a great team of people who you can rely on, regional managers, and and nobody's calling me if the toilet gets clogged. Three to five was a miserable experience for me. That was <laughs> the worst for me, but um, I was running different models, so right. it, it probably would have been different if I was doing it a little more strategic. <laughs> um, all right, so when we had Rick on, he wasn't allowed to talk about any like numbers because that's um, you know that I guess legalese issues. So, okay. well, you you guys have one that is open already, right? Yes. And are you leased on the second yet? No, we we are going to start communicating about that internally in January, and then figure out what our move is. I I think that we will the real estate piece will probably look at two at the same time. But we'll see. I mean, we we wasted, I think it was four months negotiating the terms of a lease that ended up falling through before we landed where we're currently at. Um, so we would like to open to next year, but we don't know. It's it's North Jersey is a very tough market, and I think I was more open minded to I'll drive forty five minutes to Unit Two. And then you realize how often you have to be physically be there early innings. So, uh, so I do think we would want to keep units two and three uh, within a twenty-minute drive for me. Yeah, that was a huge mistake we made. We our one of our locations was in Livingston, which was like driving from Hoboken was you know thirty-five minutes away. Right. And it, if something goes south, which of course that's the location where, like for us, it went like tits up. Right. Yeah. You're just there every single day, and it's just destroying your life. And, sure. And just sucking energy away from your other ones. Right. And, there, there's there's pluses and minuses to having a really lean team, right? So you have to manage fewer people, but 
when you lose one or everyone gets a stomach virus one week, the operations partner has to jump in. It's just the way that it is. And that will continue to be the case until you get to the point where we can afford a regional manager and have the, the absolute right people in the fitness director roles. And so I know a lot of uh, people have reached out to me who are similar situation you were before going into this. So they owned a gym that's doing well and then they had right. maybe like a coach who's ready to do another one and they're exploring the franchise route. Right. Like, What's the benefit of going the franchise route versus just opening up an, another fit lab or trying a concept of your own? Like, why, why did you do this? Because it, it is expensive, right? You know, yeah. you got to pay like forty, fifty thousand dollars franchise fees, something like that, and yeah. a bunch of other fees, and sure. you lose a lot of your freedom. Like, what, what, what was the hope in doing that? For Mark and I, it, it was twofold. One, you can't open a Mark Fisher Fitness just anywhere for. I mean, I always tell people, just go to their website and you'll be able to figure out why they couldn't open <laughs> locations all over the country. And and uh, my gym, all of the coaches either have an exercise science degree and CSCS is, one guy went to Stanford, there's a physical therapist. It would just be incredibly hard to hire and scale those uh, gyms. Uh, either of our gyms so we wanted to run someone else's play and also it we felt like it protects us from ourselves to to not uh, you know be thinking of different LBOs every quarter and doing this or doing that you know once you get past the six month mark or so I, I, and and learn alloy systems I, I think things really start to fall in place and they will get easier as we open more units uh, so it was it was partially an investment to protect us from us and and mark mark's was, insane like i i can't imagine having to go to the marketing meeting with mark and he's got a he's got a blank slate <laughs> right. that he can write on every single week but, but he really is and and he's he said that on a number of podcasts right is that he's actually totally down to be a team player and run someone else's play and part of that, I'm sure, is just he doesn't have the bandwidth. This is his third business that he's involved with. And he has a young family, too, that I, I imagine he occasionally likes to see. So uh, this is really a, a, a straightforward model. And, and I will say it's, it's, it's like um, programming effective workouts. Simple, not easy. And the reason why it hasn't been easy so far is like, yeah, the, the plays are pretty straightforward, but it's just new software, new, you know, new systems to learn. So, of course, it's going to take a little while to get your feet wet, but uh, it, for future units, I, I think we'll, we'll be able to move with more speed and confidence and being like, yes, we learned this lesson. This is how we move forward. So I, I, I just find, I think we both are, are pretty confident that this is the way to scale with more speed than we ever could on our own. Now, I, I know that you've had guests that are moving very quickly with their scaling. God bless them, you know, and, and it is cheaper. And if they have a, a great network and are able to put the right people in the right 
uh, right seats, then then I I think I think you can do it. We didn't feel like we were in that position. So, you opened the doors how long ago? October twenty third, officially. We oh, had, so like a month ago. Like, yeah, like a we, over a month. Yeah, ago. we. So we saw, we completed the lease and the build out was done around the third week of August. And then we did, um, no, sorry, sorry, yeah, the lease was done uh, beginning of August. Our end of the build out was done uh, September 14th. So we were actually, during the pre-sales process, we were doing a, about a dozen free training sessions per week for anyone who signed a membership agreement and put a credit card on file. So let's, let, we'll go back to the pre-sale because I got a lot of questions about that, but just getting the door open, what did it cost to go from, you know, not in the system to location one? I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about that stuff. I, I will say it, it, FDDs for any franchise are pretty easy to come by if you Google them. And, and they have to be honest on there. So if anyone's interested, it's, it's not cheap. Uh, if, you, if you look up their FDD, I think you'll be able to get a, a ballpark number. Uh, North Jersey is expensive, but I will say we feel pretty good about the lease that we sign and that the rent that we're paying. It's, it's not... It's not over the top. The I think a, a trick that we learned from our franchise consultant was to to look for spaces in strip malls that are owned by large property developers because they're they have money. They're much more willing to white box the space before uh, our contractors go in. So we at least have the peace of mind that once our contractors got in there. The electrical was going to be all squared away. Plumbing was going to be in order. All of those things that could be hiding behind the walls that you spend a ton of money on and doesn't make the place any nicer or cooler or anything. So, uh, yeah, I, I think the lease that we, we got and, and the rent that we're paying is, is very fair. What does FDD stand for? Financial something disclosure documents. <laughs> I, I, I would be googling it right now. Yes, but I'm assuming it's like the sheet that says this is the franchise fee. This is their take. This is like yeah, what you should expect to pay in a build out. What what units? I forget if it has to be updated every year or every other year. But it it, it takes the average um, earnings of the units that are open. They have to be very. It, it's it's pretty robust. I think that they're usually. 50 something pages. And I, I do remember that uh, item 17 is the thing that people tell you to really focus on. All right, pro tip for all <laughs> you people out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Focus on item 17. Yes. Okay, cool. And then when you said uh, vanilla box or white box, that's basically like the, the landlord delivers the space as right. literally like it's finished to the drywall. Right. They'll, they'll remove they'll remove walls and do any type of demo that you need for a perfect rectangle or a perfect square. The electrical, you know, the cut down on fire hazards, make sure the plumbing's working. Uh, but even even that you're you're still paying a lot of money once your contractors are in there. 
Um, but like I said, you, you have the peace of mind. Our, our contractor's estimate was pretty darn accurate. We, we didn't get it. That's pretty rare. Yeah, we didn't get a lot of surprises. In fact, we, they were one of the vendors uh, that we will use moving forward in New Jersey. Uh, they were they were honest. They were responsive. They and and they were pretty pretty darn close to their estimate. So we we feel pretty good about using them. And so there's obviously the initial outlay of cash. Um, now the the big the big race here is getting to to cash flow positive yes. on a lot of these things. You yeah. know, after you're paying off. Did did you take money out? Did you get a loan for the initial build or anything like that? Yeah, yeah. We we put some of our own cash in for the franchise fee and a couple other things. I think we ended up coming out of pocket around six figures each and then took out a loan for the rest. And there, there are a lot of people that say that it'll be hard for fitness, uh, people in fitness to, to get loans from banks next year, especially. The Every time I go into Chase and wire or a contractor or someone money they're they're pretty hot to trot to give us more money for loans so that's to be determined when when we actually go out uh go to them hat in hand next year but literally everyone has been like what do you do what is this how much money do you and your partner make here's my business card every, every chase that i go into so we will we will continue to use a combination of our cash and then taking out loans. I think the majority of franchisees, and, and this is across whether it's quick serve restaurants, gyms, or, or whatever, I think the game is that you use some of your cash early innings, take out loans, and then at some point around unit three to five, you're really uh, looking to get money from private investors who ideally would also be able to offer some value to you, some some level of expertise, um, but still also be mostly silent. <laughs> and yeah, just give you what say. <laughs> yeah. Mostly silent investors. Uh, th that that seems to be the route that people go. And uh, you've heard podcasts where people are getting interviewed, and it's like, oh, this guy owns uh, 250 Orange Theories, and. 245 of them he's a five percent owner of those orange theories so i i, I think it could be a, like a little misleading where you're like wow these people must be multi multi-millionaires um but really they're they own small percentage and and are heavily and uh reliant on private investors and, and Mark and I both have to do more research on getting money from banks and private investors because from what I understand, private investors are gonna expect a minimum of 12% on whatever they give you. So it's like, do you wanna deal with an individual or do you wanna deal with an institution that has tons of money behind it? So I've talked to bankers both on the show and offline. Right. One of the things that you're saying that lines up with what I'm hearing is um, it's easy to get money. So if you are CrossFit XYZ and you go to a bank, uh, it's going to be very difficult to get money versus if you're an Orange Theory in F45 or someone exponential. Right. Yeah. Like if you're an established franchise, the franchisors develop relationships with certain banks sure. and facilitate like not only um, like 
the build out, the expansion capital, and then also like the acquisition of people within network because right. like the you know there's just so much movement like you're saying like at three units, at five units, at fifty units, at a hundred units. There's just different players coming in and refinancing happening. Like banks love <laughs> being the preferred lender of, of franchises. Right. Where like if you're you know Joe Blow and you're going from Fit Lab one to three Fit Labs, there's just like sure. not a lot of opportunities. There's of not going to be a feeding frenzy. So they, like when he says that, it's just you need to remember that it, a, a franchise is a different ball game than an independent gym. They 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 the banks want to know that you're running a proven system, right? Uh, that you're not going to value, uh, you know, spending an insane amount of money on equipment or murals on the wall or anything like that, that you are going to have constraints in place. They also are, are going to deeply care about your personal finances, right? So you don't have to be incredibly um, liquid or anything like that, but you better have a pretty good credit score right. they, they they will they will care very much about you as an individual no matter what businesses you're opening up for sure yeah you don't want to be bankrupt you want to have a good credit score right. like um but but aside from that and you want some industry expertise but you know it sure. doesn't have to be anything insane you don't have to be a millionaire to right. uh i guess uh, i would guess at a lot of levels the the scrutiny by the franchisor especially for a good concept is going to be harder than a lot of the banks sure yeah. like rick was like yeah we don't want gym owners in like you guys kind of got under the radar like rick was saying that he would prefer like institutional private equity people as like his franchisees rather than sure greg and mark yeah i think it's important to have uh, have franchisees that have a certain amount of cash so they don't get freaked out right away right because the nature of even doing a construction project on your house it's probably going to cost 20% more than the estimate and take 20% longer than they tell you it's going to take. That's that's life. So uh, people who have uh, more more money are just going to be less freaked out when those bumps inevitably happen, for sure. But um, yeah, I, I like to think Rick likes us still, kind of. Oh, he he, he likes you guys. It was just, you know, it's not he doesn't right. want like uh, a thousand gym owners. He, he wants want ten of, private equity. Yes, he doesn't want a bunch of personal trainers. And also, if you're in his position, you have to be very mindful of people entering the system and wanting to do things differently because they know better and then pushing back on these little things that actually don't move the needle much but they care very deeply about it so it's just not something that his team is going to want to field a bunch of phone calls about right and you talked about private um like getting private lenders yeah. and private equity. Right. Um, let's talk about that a little bit because I think it'll benefit people to understand how this game is played. So gyms are sold, profitable gyms. So, right. so if your gym's not profitable, it's worth right. nothing, right. essentially. Yes. It's worth the equipment in there, maybe. Right. If it is profitable, it trades at a multiple of the earnings, right? right. So if you're selling FitLab right. and you make 
200 grand a year as the owner of FitLab, right. you can expect to sell that between two and four times earnings. So that gym's going to be worth 400 to 800,000. Allegedly, yes. Allegedly, yes. Yes, yes. I That's mean, what it, people like to say. Yeah. It very rarely actually happens. Uh, like on the two to four, I think so. Um, I, I, if it's true earnings. Right. I've always heard, I've always heard 3X is what the target is. Yeah. I think for to get four, you have to have a strategic buyer. Yeah. So someone wants your location as to like add on to right. the chain or yeah. uh, dumb money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or or um, you know you give like a hundred percent owner financing. Right. 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 But yeah, no, four is a great multiple. Right. Um, now, so that that's your run of the mill gym. Right. Right. And then when you get to let's say uh, an alloy model, like what. At maturity, what what is an alloy spit out? Like somewhere in between, you tell me. I don't know. Like like a, I, when you're modeling this thing out, what do you? What we're hoping that we can sell it for? No no no. What is one unit? What's the net owner benefit of one unit? What I will say is that we don't expect to take money out of the business, any of the units, until we pay off our debt, which will probably be somewhere between three and five years per unit. Well, let's, so a let's talk EBITDA. So the earnings before, like your debt payments, all that, like right. what, what is it on a, on a unit? You can give me a range. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if they, the, the, I, I feel like they, they uh, don't talk about this in, in public too much. All right. So let's for the for the sake of the example, let's assume it's like a hundred thousand bucks. Right. Okay. Let's let's say it's a hundred thousand bucks. So if you have five units at a hundred grand a piece, right. it's turning out five hundred thousand right. in EBITDA. Right. And so again, that's gonna be something that sells like at uh, you know, four times EBITDA, right. maybe. Right. Assuming like those earnings are stable. Right. Um but like if you get to 10, 15 units and it's doing a couple million in EBITDA, right. like it then becomes interesting to- A lot of people. Exactly. Right. I, I think even at three to five units, just the fact that you can sell all of them to one person makes it a lot more appealing to people who have big cash. Right. So you're selling like the, the the story for you, dear listeners, is when you get past a certain scale, you can expect to exit for a high like an, an eight to twelve multiple if you get in some of those like far end ranges. Sure. Yeah, I, I think it's I, I listen, some people stay in their franchises forever. I, I think a lot of people view it as a private equity firm taking something private doing what they can with it and then selling it, you know, in under a decade. I think that's a reasonable way to look at it. And the reality is I know for Mark and I, we just have, we have no plans on ever stopping working, but we also don't know what, what our long-term, you know, five years from now, what we're going to be interested in doing. But yes, the, the exit strategy, like the, the, the final payout when we when we do decide to to sell these things will be a, a much bigger payout than anything we could ever generate with privately owned spaces well i think that it's important for the listener to understand the idea of multiple expansion just so they understand why go through the headache of building 10 of somebody else's business sure right and so like again 
you sell one location two to four hundred thousand dollars if right. it's a hundred thousand in earnings but if you right. have ten locations it's not going to sell for you know two to four million it's going to sell for you know eight to sixteen eight to twenty million because the multiple expansion like it, it, it's such a dramatic difference on on the exit if you can make it to uh, a number of set like you can grow the EBITDA to the point where like institutional money's interested. In. Right, of course. And and also it's a proven system. I, I think a concern would be with pr privately owned gyms is that how much of the gym success is dependent on the owner, his, his or her personality, them being there. Like how much of the success are, are they still needed, right? Where, uh, where there's fr a franchise with proven systems they're still going to have access to those systems. All those, everything should move forward the way that they were. Like the, you know, the the amount of money that they're producing, even when Mark and I cash out and have nothing to do with them, they the train should keep rolling down the tracks, you know, without us. Which I don't know if that's the case with many privately owned gyms. And that's why it's worth more, right? right? Yeah. Like the people, you know, you referenced having a minority stake in a lot of franchises. I'm, I, I'm assuming you're referencing a guy like a Jamie Weeks, but right. like, you know, he'll sell a little bit to bring on an institutional player, he'll grow. Right. That private equity guy will sell to the next private equity guy right. and he'll keep a smaller piece of that and right. then it grows and then he sells it. And sure. he keeps owning a smaller piece of a much larger pie, but like that guy's had two or three exits just riding the train from <laughs> right. money to money right. to money. Yeah. And so that's sweet. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, but yeah, I do think it's important that um, like gym owners understand this this concept of like multiple expansion and how like if you can get like why you would do this, sure. which on the surface just sounds awful and really hard. Right. Like like what the what the payday is on the sure. Right? I but if people do also do their due diligence and talk to people who have successfully done it, they all tend to believe the juice is worth the squeeze. They're they'll be very transparent about the amount of work and just, you know, how how hard it really is. I mean, this year, I, I, I doubled the size of Fit Lab and opened one unit of Alloy. It's It's been the hard, one of the hardest years of my life. I mean, stress-wise, it's been harder on me than 2020 when the gym was actually shut down because there's just so much happening at once now. But things do get easier, right? Because you're, there, there are systems that aren't going to wildly change year after year. Things will be tweaked to get better over time, but we will just get more, more and more proficient running someone else's place. Got it. Um, one thing that I did want to, that you and I texted about uh, a month ago, when we're, t we're talking about private lending versus banks. And I, I, I think we both need to Google this, but with SBA loans, in our research uh, for getting money for even unit one, the SBA, the SBA loans that were offered to us seemed, to, seemed like they would encumber us time-wise. That every time you needed something done, they had to write you a check and that took that takes time and also none of them were willing to cut checks for the build out so I, i'm sure that's different if you own the actual piece of real estate 
but for we spoke to two different SBA lenders, and both of them said the same thing that they were unwilling to uh, give us money for a build out. Which for future units, that that does become a little bit tricky. Well, they give you money to buy existing units. That's the that's the question I have. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I think the answer is yes. But I would. Yeah. I was. I was shocked when you told me that. Too, yeah. that, that you can't use them to fund the initial outlet. It's also, the, a line of credit took five days total to get a couple hundred thousand dollars and I didn't even have to speak to someone. An SBA loan, you're, you're gonna fill out some paperwork and it's gonna take a little bit of time. <laughs> yes, yeah. And as you get bigger, um, if you're not going through the SBA, there are opportunities to not PG everything which right. would be nice to <laughs> right. not risk a hundred percent of your net worth every time yes. you open up a new yeah gym. it is those yes the paperwork does get a little bit scary when you're when you're throughout this process i will i will admit to that yeah no it's a lot of risk so it's it's crazy you guys are you guys are swinging for the fences um so yeah we talked a lot about opening the exit strategy now let's go back to the initial unit you know we said the goal is to get to cash flow positive Talk me through what the opening process was like and how that has been, because obviously it's been stressful if you're saying you're going to have a stroke and it is the hardest <laughs> one year of your life. Like, like it, it let's, just, let's talk about getting a hundred people, because not like Alloy is not a national. It's not Planet Fitness. It's not a nationally right. known brand. Like you open up, there's not going to be 500 people to say, oh, thank God, there's an Alloy here. Right. Which was like the case for me when I opened, like when I opened my CrossFit in Hoboken, they're like, oh, I was going to a CrossFit and now there's one two blocks closer to my house. Right. I'm just going to go to this one. Right. Yeah. So I, I th we had to do a lot of things that I as uh, Alloys has sold 200 units, right? So there will be brand awareness over the next few years as these units actually open up. But we're the first in New Jersey. I think more and more people, when they hear small group, the term small group personal training, have an idea of what that means, that it's, it's a little bit more high touch of a service than group fitness. But as far as the brand, yeah, people just don't know about it yet. So we, we've done things like flyering grocery store parking lots, and we're spending a lot of money on direct mailers and um, certainly really leaned into uh, digital marketing for, for the first couple months. And um, it, 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 it was a lot for sure. And now thing, now that we're through pre-sales, you're still doing a lot of the same things, but it's, you're just not throwing as much money as the problem uh, at, at getting people through the door. So we need to be around 75 people to, to hit our break even, which isn't a huge number but it feels like a race. Now, part of that might just be me, right? Having this unrealistic expectation of, I know what this can do, I know what this will be, I've been doing this model for eight years on my own, my business partner's this super smart guy with this very successful gym, and I think I, I've just, that's part of what's made it feel hard for me, is that I just want it to get to a hundred people and be cash flow positive, um, but the reality is things have been. We we've been working really hard since August. 
you know it's not that long uh, of, of a runway so far and we we feel that we'll be in a really good place by the time we get to february so um yeah a lot of we, we've done some organic marketing and now that um again a lot of time is taken up just learning systems and teaching uh younger coaches how to manage people how this model works um but as time goes on, I personally can lean into the organic marketing that I feel will be a lot more effective than direct mailers and, and things of that, which is just going into, um, you know, a, a PGA superstore and talking to the manager, going into an orthopedist offices and having one-on-one -on -one conversations with folks like that. Um, I, I think we're gonna reap the benefits of that over the next few months as, as we can take our foot off the gas a little bit. So how long do you think it's gonna take you to get to that 75 mark? Oh, we're, we're two people away. Oh, all right. And, <laughs> and you've been open for how long? Since October 23rd. So like six weeks basically? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Right. Yeah. So, and, and we'll see, we'll see what the churn is. Right. I, I think that from what we understand at the three month mark, a couple units have, um, you know, took a little bit of a hit, but, but that's the nice thing about running someone else's play is like, you're still going to continue to do the things that got you where you are. Right. You're not going to, you don't have um, you don't have the ability to do run some crazy low barrier offer if you're panicked because you know your churn was ten percent one month out of six or something. You don't have to freak out. You keep you still keep doing the same things. Are you doing like of the seventy five members? Are those like LBOs? Are like we've run a couple of people who've run like copycat models or like right. their own DBA like like their own take on this, like. Are you? Are these people paying half price? Are these full price people? Nah, like what, because, what? Because it's past the the month mark. So there, these are full price members now, and it, and now meaning they were on some type of LBO. Like what, yeah, what for the you, first month, it's fifty percent. Okay. Yeah, so that's the months. that's the founding that's the founding members rate. Alloy actually doesn't do LBOs. Like they really value. That's why what, I love Rick Mayo. Yeah, what they what they have to offer, and and I've been the same. You know, um, my my thinking is aligned with theirs. Where I I've always felt Fit Labs prices were fair for what we offer. And thus, I don't feel compelled to run LBOs. And, and that's part of the beauty of only needing 130 members to be, you know, crushing it. So, um, yeah, we, it, they're, they're, it, beyond that first month, things may change as, you know, additional units open and, and um, there's Alloy's team expands. But as of right now, they, they don't, do a bunch of LBOs. So we're almost at break even for number one. Is the thing stopping number two HR? Is it finance? Is it finding a location? Like what is, how do you know you're ready to open up your second one? The, it was just our bandwidth. I, I didn't fully step away from my first business. Mark's not stepping away from MFF or business for unicorns. So he's incredibly busy. 
And uh, we also want to make sure that we learn the lessons that were necessary to learn from unit one, which we that that takes a couple months. So it takes a little while. So we're we're learning lessons and we write everything down. It, that that's a mistake that I made early in my career was not putting things down and being like, hey, this is now an SOP and we're gonna continue to do this. Uh, so so we're, we're learning a, a lot of lessons and so we'll start the process at looking at more real estate in January. That could either happen fast or that can take six to eight months. You don't know. If, it, if, if it's on the longer side, we will probably uh, for sure be looking at more than one space and and try to um, try to scale quickly next year which again it, it's a it's a lot of work but the economies of scale means we also pay down our debt we'll like pay down our debt faster and we'll develop a team to where we can start getting our life back a little bit with with those small teams i where you have two full-time coaches and then one part-time coach i think getting to to three or more units in a fairly concentrated area then makes that job posting for a part-timer more appealing because you can say hey, we need help at this unit and these two units also. Um, so again, I, I, the name of the game is not just a rush to, to open units, but to- Be strategic to, about where they are. Yeah, and, and, having, and, and getting, getting your team in order, knowing who your team's gonna be for the next five years. Yeah, I mean, that's the issue I, every time we talk to somebody running this model at multi-units, it's just like, this is a HR nightmare. It sounds very, very hard to do that. But sure. if you're clustered there and you have that regional man, if you have someone in between you and right. one cough away from having to wake up at five and coach the classes, right. that probably helps you sleep a little better at night. Yeah, and we, listen, we, uh, we the, the salaries that we're offering our coaches are very competitive. For sure, and there, there's, it's, for the fitness director, it's gonna be a 40 hour a week job, but they're highly incentivized, their, their base salary is good, and again, as you and I were talking off air, uh, you and I kind of end up living in this like fitness bubble because we're constantly surrounded by these success, successful gym owners. So you just think everyone's doing really well, you don't, you can tend to forget, oh, $70,000 actually means a lot to a trainer who's been in the game for five years or um, a manager of a crunch where they can now have equity in this um, smaller business with some, some uh, probably fewer corporate headaches and they get to learn. Um, so I, I think we'll be able to get uh, continue to develop a, a pretty strong team over the next three years. I mean, 70 is a multiple over what the average person in the fitness industry makes. And, oh, yeah. and it's substantially more than the average owner makes. Right, and they don't have equity. And right. you have to take all the risk. It's your money if they screw up. And so right. it, it's, it's, a, it's a nice deal. Like there's definitely a lot of people like to hate on 
working for somebody else in the fitness industry. But the reality is if you have the right person, the right team, you're going to do a lot better most of the time in sure. that situation than you would owning your own gym. Like if you're just looking at the numbers. Sure. Right. Yeah. There's, there's a lot less risk involved. There's no risk involved essentially when you you're, go to work you, you just <laughs> you go do to a work. good job you're not going to get fired right and, and if and if you're an active participant and really you know pushing in the right direction you're going to get quarterly bonuses that push you north of six figures still again working a 40 hour a week job in the fitness industry that's great i i really i really worry about a number of people that i know that are doing 40 training sessions a week and they're in their 40s like i just don't know what their 50s looks like right i when i was in manhattan for eight years yes i was uh working as a private personal trainer but i also worked in nightlife and i that's another djing and all of that that's that's another industry that's still basically in its infancy and i just don't know how DJs or personal trainers grow old gracefully and have some type of exit strategy. I just don't know what that looks like for them if they're still leaning on training people one-on-one -on -one or doing group fitness and just putting so many miles on your body as, as you age. I, I just don't know what that looks like. I mean, when I started in CrossFit, it wasn't conceivable that you could own a gym and have it be like a career. It was like you were a fireman or a teacher. Or like, right. like my first CrossFit gym was owned by a PE teacher. My second one was owned by a guy who was a fireman. Right. And it was like just a side project because, hey, we liked working out this way. So we opened this thing and it was like right. part community service, part money pit. Sure. And then my crop of gym owners, like the, the top couple percent started to do okay. Right. And now like all the talk is about professionalization. Like if you own a gym, you're taking this type of risk, you're doing the type of work you're doing. Like right. it's fair to expect that you should like own or you should make like what the median household does if you right. do a decent yeah. job. And, like, right, right. That should be the benchmark we're shooting for. But to your point, most people don't. Most people aren't even close right. on either side, working for somebody else or owning their right. own gym. I, I am hopeful for uh, younger coaches and people entering the fitness industry just because there's so much good information readily accessible. And there's mentorship groups. Like I, mentorship, regardless of industry, is just so important, right? To, to your personal development and, and advancing yourself. So I do think that there's more opportunities than ever for people to, to own a home and, you know, start putting enough money away where they can retire, maybe uh, buy some real estate as, um, as an investment and, and rent it out. So I, I think there's more opportunities than ever for, for folks in fitness. It's just how many people are actually taking advantage of it. Like I said, I, I don't know because I'm just very fortunate to be surrounded by incredibly smart people. Offline, you said something that was interesting. You said, it took me about 10 years to figure out the fitness industry, but like times were different. Now someone can probably get to where I am in two. Right, yeah, and the, one of the coaches that business for, uh, business for Unicorns, who was a member of the mentorship and now they elevated to the coaching status, he was in tech for, I think, eight years. I think he's still a relatively young guy, but he's only owned a gym for four years. 
you know, he's just super savvy and leaned into educating himself, right? So there, there are a lot more opportunities than I had. And the things that I was doing research on and reading up on was like T Nation. <laughs> you know, so it's like if I could get someone super swole delts and really get their squad up, everything is just going to fall make, into place. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's just how you're going to make. If I could just program just a little bit better. That's yes, the thing I'm missing. Yes, yeah. So it, so there was there was a lot of that that I was looking into. There there weren't a ton of people in the space uh, talking about this is how you actually make money. And now if you know where to look, there's just, you know, there's two brains, there's business for unicorns, there's even just listening to podcasts like Hormozy. I think it's- Or Gym World Worldwide. Or Gym World. I I think that it's beneficial for young people to at least listen to podcasts or read articles that are very transparent about how hard it is how hard you're going to have to work and that it's an industry that honestly we haven't earned the public's respect totally yet like the barrier to entry is still pretty pretty low um and 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 you can outwork that to you know to earn a lot of people's uh trust and own a gym and run it very successfully and and have a comfortable life but I think it's it it is beneficial not to just learn about how to run the business, but what what types of sacrifices you can anticipate early in your career if you want to achieve a somewhat comfortable life. So if you're a gym owner, you're someone who's on the sidelines wanting to start from scratch. Like what what do you uh, what advice are you giving that person to get to you know to shorten the amount of struggle and just needless suffering that all of us go through on our fitness journey. So if we're if we're assuming a person is still young and unmarried, doesn't have children yet, then live lean and reinvest as much money as possible in your continuing education and and spend most of that on running a business and personal development, maybe a little less on the technician stuff. Although I still think that's incredibly important too, to invest in becoming a a great trainer first and foremost, and then also learning how to sell. I mean, there's so many free books and, and free resources now that if you really are dedicated to to learning, you you can figure stuff out fairly quickly. Um, But uh, yeah, I I, I would just say invest as much time and money as you can into um, learning. And, and, and that's a, that's a pretty good first step. Awesome. Well, we've been going on for a little over an hour now. You know, you, you, your child is probably up from their yeah, nap. Your child's up from that. Children are up from naps now. I too. still have an extra 45 minutes of daycare. No, so I do just... not. My kid is definitely doing push-ups and cartwheels at home. So before you go back to that, if people want to find out more about you or follow you on your journey, where, where do they uh, find you? Well, I'll, I will say this, and I'll be perfectly honest. They can go to our Instagram and reach out to me through Instagram and also learn exactly what not to do with Instagram because our social media is terrible. 
<laughs> now that now that you've gotten the the pitch, you know what 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 is the account? Uh, the fitlabhoboken.com. The alloy the alloy Franklin Lakes is on there, and that is a lot of content that most of the alloys uh, churn out. But if anyone wants to talk to me personally, they can reach out through the Fit Lab Hope at the Fit Lab Hoboken. Okay. You heard yes. it. You heard if, it here. If, if uh, I, I've, I've, anytime I see one of Kalita's posts, I'm like, oh my God, if this woman ever came across our Instagram page, she would probably make me cry. Yeah, maybe. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> uh, all right. And we'll be sure to do a follow-up uh, next year, see how the, the journey's going, see how many alloys uh, we got in the pipeline. Totally. We're very excited about it. Like I said, I, I mean, it's it's hard, but it's been a relatively short amount of time. Um, we, we are excited to move forward and learn from our mistakes and learn from what we've also done well. Rad. Well, that's been it for the office edition of Gym World Worldwide. Uh, be sure to like, subscribe, and uh, leave a hateful comment. <laughs> and uh, we shall talk to you next week, Gym World.